I have a bucket list, not like most others because the destinations are undiscovered parts of the Nordic region and there's one place I've been longing to visit because of its Scottish connections, its island archipelagos covered with wee wooden huts and its reputation as the friendliest place in Sweden because of its shipbuilding heritage, its Gothenburg. But in an era of climate crisis and the desperate dash to net zero, there's another reason to visit this city of 600,000 people. Sweden's second city by population has become its biggest centre for innovation, research and development, and it's the world's most sustainable tourism destination. It has the largest tram system in Northern Europe with 12 lines, plus a fleet of electric and hybrid buses, plus river ferries and a car company that aims to produce only electric vehicles by 2030. But first things first, how does a luxury vintage city centre hotel that was built in 1859 manage to go green? The answer in practical and some very subtle ways. I'm sitting in the beautiful decor of the breakfast room at Hotel Eggers with the manager, uh, Jessica Vialaton. Um, and we've got, we're going to talk sustainability, which is a strange thing to be talking about in a hotel that was built in 1859. How do you make a hotel like this sustainable? Because you haven't got any of the, presumably you haven't got any of the easy fixes that more modern hotels have where they have you know, the lighting can go off, determined by movement in the room and all those sort of newfangled things. Um, everything here is lovely old switches and it feels like it feels like it is genuinely an older hotel. Uh, that's true. And, and that is a bit of a, a difficult part uh, when we work with sustainability, but not impossible. You just have to have uh, ideas to do things different. For example, it's uh, years ago we started with the sustainability and the Svanen eco-labeling. And one of the things was that our toilet was flushing too much. So uh, they told us we have to change all our toilets. It's a very uh, expensive and it's not so sustainable to change everything, mm -hmm. we thought. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, of course, when we change, we change to uh, toilets that are flushing less. But in the beginning, we um, you can put in PET bottles with water in the um, cistern, in, in the cistern, and then they uh, they don't add so much water, water, and they 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 don't flush so much. So so you can use the original. Exactly. But adapt it. Exactly. Who'd have in thought we would be talking toilets so quickly? <laughs> but so th that matters. Yeah, but it does, it does. Electricity, that's mm -hmm. a big surprising one because that comes from near a wind turbine near the coast. Yes, it does. We bought them uh, early on because we have, we're in our group, we are four hotels and two of the hotels are is spa hotels. So they uh, uh, use enormous uh, amount of electricity and we wanted to do it, we don't want to stop have a spa, but we wanted to do it in a, the best possible way. So um, we bought these wind turbines that, uh, that uh, uh, gives all our hotels electricity and actually a little bit more. So. Uh, people from the uh, hotel staff can buy green electricity from them. Really? Yeah, yeah. 
Right. And, I mean, forgive my ignorance, but you, you kind of imagine a turbine at the coast and then a big cable coming directly to your hotel. Mm. Is it like that or is it more a sort of accounting process? It's more like accounting process, exactly. So so they produce a lot of, uh, of uh, green electricity and we buy it, but through uh, our, our um, business that uh, take care of the electricity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and do you source a lot of your food locally? Yes, we do, uh, locally and, and, and always uh, fair trade or any, any kind of different kind of eco-labeling, but mainly we wanted to keep it close. And uh, so, for example, this year it's new on our menu. It says that um, our portions is a little bit less smaller. smaller uh, but don't be afraid to ask for more because actually we do throw so much food in the restaurant and hotel business so we want to turn it uh, uh, turn it upside down and mm -hmm. say that you can ask for more instead of throwing so mm -hmm. and that is very important for us and we are weighing between lunch breakfast lunch and dinner how much and we have this this um, goals that we are going to reduce like for example we also serve more vegetarian and fish than meat that is a, that's a choice we have done of course there's people saying that uh, they want more meat or they don't understand or so on but and and the younger generation they they like it more um, so we 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 say that we keep on doing it, and and the 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 world will come with us <laughs> eventually, even though they don't might like it right away. And that's the same thing. All we do here, like like for example, in the conference, you always serve a lot of fika, as we say in Sweden. You know, for, yeah. So. And and these are little Danish, well, I was going to say Danish pastries, but I'm in the wrong country to be calling them that. Naughty me. But yes, just so that people understand. Yeah. So, and often it might be a lot of uh, uh, fika left when they are done. So instead of throwing it as we did before, we put it out for everyone to, to consume the rest. You would think that maybe the conference guest that has paid for it in, from the beginning think it's oh I'm paying for the other ones but when we explain that no actually it would be the same price but we don't want to throw food they understand and, and they think it's a good thing and are most of your guests Swedish 70% uh, I would uh -huh. say mm. so their their approach presumably it's a whole country approach in Sweden then so they're ready for yeah. what your ideas are yes I would say that we are it seems like we are quite far in that uh, respect because I met a German journalist and what I think is not very special she thought wow you're so much uh, before us and so so I, 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 I assume that the Swedish people are more ready for it and and when the younger people when they tend to uh, look for work for example they often ask us how do you work with sustainability it's an important question for them really yeah yeah right all bigger company, companies in Sweden, they ask for that we have, have to be a, have an eco label. So I wouldn't be able to do a, 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 um, 
an agreement with a municipal yeah exactly yeah. without having yeah. uh, an eco label on me right yeah, so that's yeah. a big thing isn't it's it? a big thing and like for Volvo or all the bigger you have to be uh, thinking a lot of the with your about your sustainability in all ways it's not only the the food but the the social sustainability also and so on so ah. so for example we work with uh, i don't know what it should you know, it's called in english but in sweden it's statsmissionen it's like a, um, the salvation army exactly exactly and um we do a thing with them every year, for example, for Christmas, for gathering uh, uh, gifts for children, and we help with other things, uh, and we give them some money each year to for their work of the social. Oh, this system. charity, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. But that, so that's very interesting. That really, for you to have perhaps conferences or agreements or any deals or trading with almost every other big company here you actually do need an eco label as a hotel yes, but yes. is that something that the council decided uh, not the government but the 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 the, the um, city was very early with pu pushing also for it so and together and now today it's uh, governmental also but not uh, uh, mandatory for everyone but but almost kind of mandatory mm. for mm. the smaller hotels or for the small restaurant it's not mandatory but today you have to do it in Sweden. Yeah. Well that's where Gothenburg has got to today but it's been a tough fight back since the city was brought to its knees in the 1980s by the collapse of shipbuilding in the face of Japanese and Korean competition, the oil crisis and a world economic downturn. It left five kilometres of empty dockland and 20,000 people without jobs. So far, so very like the Clyde. But though shipbuilding was out, Gothenburg was not down. 25 years ago, the city council bought those empty shipyards for just one Swedish krona. That's two pence. Financed new house building, constructed secondary schools and linked up with Chalmers University to set up Lindholmen Science Park. That attracted the Swedish mobile phone maker Ericsson, who wanted to create a cluster of 10,000 people around its new HQ. This sort of IT interdependency helped that sector survive the dot-com crash. The biggest advance, though, followed the biggest setback when Sweden's innovation agency rejected a big Gothenburg bid for cash to build an open research area at Lindholmen. Undaunted, the science park owners, the council and these businesses went ahead together without state funds, seconding 30 people between them for a year to fine-tune their plans. It worked. Now 375 companies operate on dockland that wasn't worth four pence 30 years ago. And travelling through the city today, there are still huge construction projects everywhere and not just by the biggest employer, Volvo. A hundred billion euros has been invested to connect both banks of the River Gotha. And as the city shapes up to celebrate its 400th anniversary this year, the sense of drive and excitement is almost palpable. I spoke to Christian Borg of Business Region Gothenburg and Jonas Eriksson, head of Gothenburg Green City Zone, who explained how all that cash will be spent. 
We have one new uh, bridge that has been built, inaugurated uh, last year, and there are also uh, one more uh, bridge being planned for uh, bikes and, uh, and pedestrians. We have a new tunnel being planned for public transportation, and, and also uh, different projects uh, focusing on utilizing the ferries even more effectively uh, as going, being able to go uh, over, the, over the river. So a lot of projects are aiming this, making the two parts of Gothenburg becoming coming much closer to each other. And have you been like two banks of one city? Uh, we have been there, yeah. Yes, uh, we are. But, but to just start with, we are now at Lindholmen and Lindholmen Science Park, and here we have a free ferry, um, which is very popular. It it. Uh, goes every five minutes and it takes five minutes just over the over the river and it's fully it's it's crowded all the time and you can bring your bikes it's a hybrid electric ferry and uh, we will have more of them and in the end fully electric uh, crossing the river at many spots directly quickly for pedestrians and bikers so it's it's, it's going to become much easier to to shift side in mm -hmm. the river. And on the side we are uh, currently on, uh, in, in the 70s we had the, the world's largest sh largest shipyard here. Even bigger than Glasgow? Even bigger than, are you than sure? Glasgow. I, we will check it, this, the facts, <laughs> no, but as I, heard, like. as I heard, it, it was uh, the largest shipyard. But of course it, it moved uh, east during the 70s and the, and the 80s. Korea and China, right. yeah. So we lost the whole industry. Yeah. Uh, so therefore also the, the city itself focused on creating much more diverse uh, business uh, and uh, business uh, climate and businesses. Uh, and also the last 20 years uh, focused quite heavily on creating this area where we are now. And currently it's actually more people working here in higher paid jobs than, the, than it was during the 70s. And, and what are those jobs then? Mostly in R&D, in, in different uh, large and small tech companies. I mean, Ericsson was a, uh, an important uh, first step to get the, this area uh, growing quickly. And you have car, Volvo Cars Group, Geely, the owner of Volvo Cars, and uh, siblings to them, and AI companies, and lots of more, uh, life science, Getinge, um, many international companies they they establish here because this is the most interesting industrial hub in Sweden I mean 37 34% of Sweden's private R&D expenditure 34% that's one third a bit more is put to work here in the Gothenburg region so we have the last year surpassed Stockholm in absolute amount of money invested and yeah. we're still half the population of Stockholm yeah. of Stockholm so yeah. so it's so what's your secret yeah I mean it's it's an industrial area but it's becoming more and more R&D focused now um, but the thing is, you know, back home in Scotland, we've tried all this. Yes. <laughs> you know, we've tried to have w water taxis, didn't work. We've tried to turn the corner and change the kind of employment. You know, it's worked mm. a bit, mm -hmm. but nothing to the degree that you've managed here. I mean, well uh, yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> uh, 
Of course, uh, the large export companies that we have here are, are, are that's an important, I mean, they are locomotives for the development. Volvo Group, Volvo Cars, SKF, AstraZeneca. They have three, AstraZeneca has three R&D hubs in the world. Cambridge, one in the US, and one here. So, so that's, um, they are really important for the whole ecosystem around them. And what, what is happening now is that all these players are really building up a startup environment around them and together with the city to have these companies and they're getting into each other's spheres. Yes, because we, we, we have some, you have some journalists here that are primarily uh, motor journalists who are out right. at the moment looking at um, a, a, a car that is charged wirelessly. This is an electric car that can be charged wirelessly. Yeah. Now, I've just watched a little film about that and I'm still, what? How can hmm. that work? So, what, how, can someone explain the pilot project on that one? That's Volvo cars, isn't it? Yeah, it's Volvo cars. And, and the drivers behind that is, of course, that we, we understand that we need to go from the fossil-dependent system that we has today, have today. And we are focusing here on the, how to do that in electrifying the transportation system. And to do that, we, we need to find, uh, find solutions that fit to the needs. For example, taxi drivers, they need, their cars need to be able to run instantly, more or less, to be able to finance their business model. And then they, then they can't stop, uh, charge and uh, put the, the core in and stand still. So they, they need to find solutions how to, sh to charge their batteries while they are waiting for passengers. So that was the idea behind it. And then there was a, a company from actually from the States, uh, Momentum Dynamics, who, ha who has this solution for buses before and tested it out and together with Volvo cars the taxi companies the electric grid company here from from Gothenburg they they focus on how can we how can we retrofit these cars how 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 will you as a taxi driver uh, go about learning your personnel to, to use utilize it and they came together in a three-year project seeing how can we utilize the wireless technology for taxi companies so can you can you describe it because it's as if they hover over a a yeah. wireless spot. Yeah, it's more or less what, what you do, uh, for example, in your home, in, in your kitchen. Um, many people have induction uh, cooking, for example, or many have also chargers for their phones, induct inductive. Uh, and you are play You have an infrastructure in in the in in, in, the, in, in the street and and also a uh, corresponding infrastructure in the car. And when they are centralized uh, above each other, they create an uh, inductive current between them. And, and through that, charging the battery. And the, the driver just can, can see on the display. Now I'm here, uh, so it's, it's ready. Do you want to charge? Yes. Just press yes. And uh, uh, Vattenfall is all, also involved via their... Um, uh, charging solution. Yeah, they have charging solutions for, for uh, uh, drivers. And I mean, to, to automatically invoice you for the, yeah. what you are charging. So they're also part of, this, of the trial system here. Uh, and just <clears throat> how long does it take for a taxi to fully charge up if it's nearly empty? The idea is not to, to go from completely empty to full. It's, it's rather to top up while you're waiting for passengers. So you do this uh, numerous times during the day, topping up uh, just the last uh, stretch that you have, uh, you have uh, driven. And then you, when you come back and wait for the next passenger, you're topping up again. Uh, so it's it's uh, 
So these are going to be vast taxi ranks in the end then, aren't they, with the constant taxis hovering to charge up? The, 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 the idea of the project is to find out how many of these infrastructures you need, but also where in the city it's, it's, uh, it's important to, to deploy them. Uh, and also how they can be utilized between different needs, because taxi companies is only one part of the system that needs this constant running. Another one is, for example, distribution of, of uh, packages uh, within the city. It could also be an actor utilizing this infrastructure. Uh, could be ambulances? Ambulances, yeah. In the city of the future, which will be much denser, uh, with lots of people having need for transportation or mobility, we cannot have just more cars serving mm. each and every individual. We cannot have cars uh, standing still on parking lots all over. It's a, it's a jigsaw puzzle of, of, of technology and, and solutions and uh, business models that need mm -hmm. to, to, to be working together. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I mean, vehicle to grid uh, charging, when you have your cars standing still with a huge battery, uh, why don't why don't you serve the the local grid to balance out the the effect so you can uh, you can you could sell your battery yeah, yeah. basically S sell the battery capacity God. to to to, uh, to the local utility and just in case people can't visualize this um, your t your public transport system is jaw dropping it's amazing you've got I think you've got the largest tram system in Northern Europe. Mm. Yes. Who knew? Yeah. Um, and the largest lines. amount of uh, electric buses as well. Yes, yeah. and the buses yeah. and the ferries. You yes, know. and soon the regional trains are, are yeah. moving uh, and straight through the city. And as bicycles well. and those little electric weird scooter things yes. that are left yes. all over yes. the place. Something will have to sort yeah. that out, but and who still. Can, who could imagine? I mean, the, the trams, they weren't like... Uh, Maybe we did regard them as, <laughs> as super modern uh, 30, 20, 30 years back. Mm. Now they are so right. Yeah. They are electrified and they, are, they have huge capacity and moving on the streets. You, you, you could easily jump on, hop off. It's, it's, it's splendid. Yeah, and, and we believe in the system that has clear backbone in the public transportation system. Uh, and then adding to that the bikes and the pedestrian. Uh, and, and, but then as, you say, as individuals, we, we want this freedom to, to move in, in uh, different ways. And there is important when it comes to carpooling, for example, having the right car with the right transportation need for that, that purpose. If you're just going outside of the city to IKEA, buying uh, uh, furniture, for example, then you perhaps need, need a larger car. During the summer, you're going somewhere to swim. You need, you don't need that big car. You can do that by a small car, for example. And and that is what this different type of the system with the public transportation as the backbone, adding on the scooters you, you mentioned earlier, for example. Where do they fit in? And that's actually what we are trying to do now, uh, thinking together with these, these different actors. Where, what type of uh, transportations um, do we need to load into the system uh, so it's being functional for people so people still even though we are going to be more people living in Gothenburg more people working here and visiting here people f still feel attractive uh, and available to move around uh, in the city let me push you on that thing mm. about the embedded energy mm. that's in cars mm. though uh, I mean is that not Obviously, we've got to transition. I mean, we're not. We've got to move from fossil yeah. fuels. Nobody's mm. arguing anymore. Nobody really. 
So um, that direction has got to, to happen. But is there not at the moment a lot of very clunky, big, heavy, you know, metal crates going around justified because they're charged by electric? Yeah, yeah I think we, we, are, we have, we have, we have, uh, we have found electrification that solves uh, a number of problems for us. We see it with the climate uh, gases, for example, and the particles within the city. We are now looking into also what type of particles comes from the tires. So I think we are step by step now approaching to actually creating as environmental friendly system as possible. We also have actors, for example, Polestar, which has its headquarters here in, in, in Gothenburg. They have their project Zero. They are looking into the full supply chain of creating a car. How do you create that uh, supply chain fossil free? From the mining to the shipping, to the construction of, of the car, to the shipping of the car, and, and, uh, and to, to the user. So it's and the end of, and end, the of end, of, end of life, of course, as well. So uh, I think that we just and it's a really important uh, questions because when we have electrified. Um, when we, d when we have done the electrification of the cars, we can't stop there. And am I right in thinking that Volvo are about to celebrate 100 years, almost 1927? Correct. To yes. 2027, yeah. and are hoping to become pr produce elect. Are they going to produce electric only by only. 2025? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they've really taken a deep breath. Yeah. They're out of here by what 2025? They're mm -hmm. out of gas. They've they've said 2030. No they won't send, sell any combustion engines at all. So that R&D, is that happening here as well, or yeah. China? It, it is, it's happening here mostly. Of course, they, they are located in, in several uh, areas, but I mean, both for Volvo and Polestar and the, the, the mother company, Geely, they have their largest R&D hub in Europe, here in Gothenburg. So they, also, they are also here for their mother company to to find the, the, the dominant and most interesting solutions for tomorrow. Yeah. And Volvo together with Northvolt uh, are, are planning for a gigafactory. Uh, this is a as big well. battery, for battery for, is this for, for cars or for other things? That's for cars. Just yeah. for cars. Yeah. And so... And they're, they're going to pr produce batteries solely for Volvo and Polestar here, uh, just adjacent to Volvo Cars' uh, present fa factory in Torslanda. Uh, employing 3,000 people in, in, in four years' time. We are just in the, in the start of this currently, even though in Sweden we have almost half, half, half of the sales of new cars are, are electric in some way. But uh, so the introduction of new cars have, have, has probably been in a premium segment. But we, need, we see now also new cars coming that are in, in different segments uh, and in smaller segments. For example, the car that has sold the most, I think, electric car is the Nissan Leaf, which is a small electric car. Uh, so, and that is also something that we need to, uh, as, you, as you mentioned this with a, uh, as a, as a public actor, we need to not be satisfied by only having electric cars in the city. And we are not satisfied with that. We have a goal, for example, here in Gothenburg, that we are, are, ought to take down the amount of uh, kilometers traveled by cars with 25%. So we want to, to take down the amount of, of, of travels with cars, for example. Um, uh, and will you do that? I mean, you, your English is so brilliant, both of you, but you know, there's the carrot and the stick. Yeah. yeah. Right. So is it all carrot? Uh, Have you got a stick? 
we have a stick in our toolbox, <laughs> but I think the city, we want to work with the carrot because we think it's, it's more innovative and experimental way of doing the transition, working with a, with a carrot uh, instead. Yeah. Uh, so finally, because I sense that yeah. um, you, you are needed you know, with everybody no, else here, no, no. but um, are you guys actually from Gothenburg, both of you? I'm not. Well, it depends <laughs> on what you mean. I moved here in 1988, so I've been here most of my life. Yes. And I lived here for 18 years now. Yeah. So, oh, so. Well. Having been to Stockholm particularly, this is a lot friendlier. I mean, a lot, 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 lot friendlier. If people sort of talk to you in the streets and say hello when you go mm. past on the islands, which just doesn't really happen so much. Is, is that something you recognize? Yeah, yeah, we, we do. Actually, that was something I recognized uh, 35 years ago when I moved here uh, immediately. And I think it's still valid today. I mean, why? Oh, that's a long uh, story and uh, you can have lots of opinions why, but basically it's a, it's a working class city to start with uh, going back. And maybe the trams have something to do with it. The mentality, being a second city, um, I don't know really, but See, there are lots of theories. It's the same in Scotland. Yeah. Glasgow is a working class shipyard, yeah. you know, big, big city yeah. on the west coast, rains a lot. Mm. Um, and it's, it's unquestionably a lot friendlier than Edinburgh, which is the yeah. city, you know, the capital city and yes, beautiful uh, we, and so on. I mean, we don't have... Uh, uh, um, the king is in Stockholm and the, I mean... Uh, or the official uh, administration. The, the administration is there. No. We are here. We are more into business, getting things things done, export, trade. I mean, it's it's a different tradition, mm -hmm. and it goes way back uh, centuries. To some back. Scots, actually, as well. Yeah, that's yes. correctly. Yeah. The Schalmers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, William Schalmers. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and I'm trying to remember them all now. Who set up various factories. I'm hoping to go and have a look at one of them tomorrow. Yes. But anyway, yeah. we, we can definitely, I think, take a leaf out of your book today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for your time and, um, you know, all power to your elbows. Now, the Chalmers mentioned by Jonas and Christian there refers to Thomas Chalmers, the Scot whose bequest in 1829 created the technical university we were actually sitting in. And the next day, I did go to another special place begun by two other Scots in the 1830s, William Gibson from Arbroath and Alexander Keeler from Dundee. In fact, Keeler already had another string to his bow even back then, having founded the Gotteverken shipyard that became the world's largest in 1930. Anyway, a 15-minute train journey into the hilly forest area east of Gothenburg brought me to Jonseret and a guide whose family worked at the mill Gibson and Keeler created since it opened in 1840. My name is Joris Furman and I'm the chairman of the society that's keeping the memory of the workers and the factory alive. And this being the factory here, that was pretty much the first of its kind in Sweden, yeah. set up really by two Scots. Yeah, one of the, the really f first one. And uh, it was one of the first that was mechanized. And that was a great idea with the factory. Not uh, hand spinning and uh, hand weaving, but uh, machine doing the work. And that's because um, William Gibson uh, came across from Dundee 
Yeah. And <clears throat> done basically, Scotland had already gone into capitalism, yeah. had its industrial revolution, yeah. had machinery, had the workers in pretty bad conditions, actually, but still. Mm. So it, it was doing it. And yeah. he came here and saw an opportunity. He, he came here uh, as a teenager, really. He, his uh, father um, had a trade business in Arbroath and he was sent to Sweden to Scots working in Gothenburg with trade because uh, his father didn't want him to get uh, hijacked by the British Navy during the Napoleon Wars. Ah. So he sent him here because it was safe for him. The Navy always wanted young boys for the ships. Mm -hmm. So that's why they, he sent them here. So he was quite young when he came here and he came here to learn trade because Gothenburg at that time was a kind of free port in Europe because Denmark was on, uh, fighting on uh, Napoleon's side. Uh, so this was a port to the, uh, to the west from this part of Europe. So it was the one that was out of the blockade yeah, and it could exactly. supply to yeah. Britain. Yeah, and um, Britain could sell uh, their merchandise from uh, the West Indies and from America here. That's why it was so interesting. And so he, he came here and he was mainly a trader. Um, he wasn't uh, really the one um, that was interested in uh, uh, the factory as such. He was interested in building capital. So he, he, he was the one with the money. So he was the capitalist. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, he wed a Swedish girl. And then there came another young man from Scotland. He was Alexander Keeler. And he wedded the sister. So they were brothers-in-law. And uh, Keeler had worked in the flex industry in Dundee. So he, he, he knew about mechanized factories and uh, Gibson had started a, a, a small um, weaving shed, hand weaving uh, sails and canvas and uh, both Gibson and Keeler had the ambition to, to be the greatest so Gibson bought a lot of different weaving sheds so he soon became the, the largest in Gothenburg. But to be even larger, they wanted to have power, water power. And you, you couldn't get that in Gothenburg. So they bought a place about uh, 15 miles from Gothenburg to, because he, here was uh, water power. And they bought it from another brother-in-law, so a Swedish brother-in-law. Uh, so um, uh, here they could uh, get the water power, and it was Keeler who had the technical skill to build the factory, to get it mechanized. They had to uh, take uh, smuggle parts of machinery and uh, drawings from uh, Scotland to make. So, so they had to make an. Um, workshop as well. So they couldn't import no, anything? No, right. so they had to do it, even the machinery themselves here in Jonserid. So it started with two parts, a textile and um, 
what do you call it? The a mechanical <coughs> shop? Uh, mm, the mill? Yeah. Um, uh, no. Well, the, also for the hydro power, they they would have needed to put that in, and the canal that we just walked yeah, past. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. And can uh, you just explain because people won't know this area so well? Um, there is a big loch up yeah. there, so you've got a drop which gives you a great head of water that gives you the power basically. Yeah. So they were quite smart to spot this place. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in um, Scotland, they have been building canals for several years, but not so much in Sweden, not for uh, water power anyway. So this uh, water power, it was not like the old mill for um, grounding wheat, or, uh, but this was a real big mm. water wheel. Mm. So like they had in Scotland. So this and was something new in Sweden. And you were saying it was so new that the King of Sweden even came to look at this factory when it was built? Yeah. He hadn't seen anything like that. He didn't see, hadn't seen machinery spinning yarn before. So he came here to look how it worked because he was curious. And so this, this factory then went on and, and expanded. I mean, we're sitting further along from the original buildings. Mm. It, it went into Jute as well. No surprise to anyone from Dundee because, mm. hey, that's Jute City, Jutopolis, mm. as it's often called. Mm. Um, what, what, what did it end up doing? Pretty much everything. Uh, it, uh, the reason they started with uh, flax and hemp and uh, making sails and made um, uh, canvas covers for, for transport, both on uh, sea and uh, for wagons and things like that. And, uh, then the Brits started to make uh, sails from cotton, so they had to start a cotton mill as well to make sails from cotton. And they also made uh, sacks and things like that for transportation. And uh, they and the Brits again uh, started to have use um, jute for both canvas and sacks and things like that. And then they started a jute factory as well. And that factory, uh, when it started uh, in the late 19th century, they had workers coming from Scotland, from Dundee, yeah. to uh, start the machinery and trim the machines and learn the workers. To teach everyone uh, here how yeah, it was done yeah, back home. Yeah. And uh, there's another thing about those Scottish workers. They were playing football at the free time. Uh, so they taught Jonserid. The, the guys in Jönsöre to play football. So Jönsöre was ahead of a lot of Swedish villages and towns. Did they build um, housing for the workers to yeah. live in? Yeah. This is, I read that this was a bit uh, like New Lanark in, in Scotland, that it was a kind of philanthropic idea. Yes, but uh, um, yeah, it, it was... Uh, uh, in a way it was, but also... And there were nothing here when they came, so he had to build houses for the workers. Uh, there were no village, anything. It was just countryside. Uh, so, and uh, the the weavers that came and the spinning spinning girls, the, the mill girls, they were poor people, and uh, the people uh, in the area, uh, the parishing in Patle, 
they got very afraid with all those poor people coming here. We won't support them if they can't work anymore because they were living in here. So he, Gibson, had to take care of the people here. They forced him to take care of them. So that's one of the reasons that uh, it's like new new Larnock. He didn't know about Robert Owens for sure. I don't think so because he wasn't a kind master and Keeler wasn't a kind master. He gave them housing, but the housing was very, very poor. And um, yeah, he was killing them. He, he had, uh, they had to buy food from the factory and it was a new, Robert Owens got good food, cheap, from the countryside. They got food from the countryside, but it wasn't cheap. Well, uh, how was your family involved here? Uh, my great, great, uh, Grandfather came here um, as uh, oh, what do you call it uh, when you have uh, a small boat on the rivers you have to drag what do you call it a uh, canal worker was he on a barge yeah a barge yeah he, he was dra dragging barges from Gothenburg with uh, flax ah yes and iron so he 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 was hard laboring yeah. And some of my family had lived here for several hundred years, and they also came to the mill. So, on both sides, both women and men had to work in the factory. So I had from both sides. And you, you said it there, they had to work in the factory. Was, was that what it was? I mean, obviously this was not an easy life in any way at all. No. So, but it was the only game in town. Yeah, exactly. And uh, children were suspected to s start working at the mills when they finished school. In Sweden, you had to go to, uh, to school for six years. And when you were 12, you left school and then you had to start work. And uh, the family needed the, the wages of the family, of the boys and girls as well, because both boys and girls went to the factory. And and they were expected to go here, so they didn't only produce sales and uh, machinery, they produced children for the factory as well. Mm. So it's uh, for several generations you were expected to start here. You just were. So <clears throat> now that obviously the factory is closed, yeah. this is a, this, well we're sitting beside the office of the original Gibson which is tremendous. You've you've kept more detail and information here than probably exists back in Dundee about mm -hmm. these guys. Um, do you? How do you feel about this place? Because it seems to me you're a bit. Mm. Yeah. There were good things and there were bad things. The workers were poor, but uh, there were some kind of security for them as well. Because uh, when it was a depression. Um, you wasn't uh, kicked away from the here, but uh, you had uh, to work less uh, days in the week instead, but you still had your work and you still had somewhere to live because I wanted to keep the workers for the better days. Mm. So uh, that, that was a kind of security. And there were also uh, insurance like uh, if you were sick, uh, you had uh, some payment from the factory. It was, uh, 
you had to put some of the wages for that towards fund. it. Yeah, yes. yeah. But you you had the opportunity and. Uh, uh, this foundation also paid for uh, doctors and uh, hospital and things like that if it was needed. And did it pay for the school? Yeah, it, they owned the school. So it was a little, it was a little community basically with everything paid yeah, for by that, the mill. But you basically you had to give your life to the mill. Yeah, exactly. In exchange. Yeah, that's a good description. But they built uh, an, uh, a special house. For the old people, they didn't have children left in the in the mm. village, so they took care of them, and it it was quite a good building for the old people. So it was good things, bad things all the time. And I've I've seen the description, a comment on online about here, mm. and about just what you've described mm. the 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 little community that was delivered. Yeah. That this was in some way a prompt for the. Swedish state that developed for the Folkjem and that whole some, idea. Some, Is that some, too some much? Part, some parts of it. Uh, this insurance uh, when you are sick and uh, paying for um, sick leave and uh, for a hospital. It was... Uh, many ideas came from here. Because of course uh, those guys who owned the factory, they were at the Swedish parliament as well. So, they, so was was Gibson or Keeler were they actually? Uh, Keeler and Gibson they fell apart early. Yeah. So Keeler went back to Gothenburg and started a mechanical shipyard for making, yeah, steam engines and steamships. So but, he was out. But did so? But but did but Gibsons. Gibsons were were MPs in Stockholm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they had good connections. Yeah. And they they delivered their thinking into yeah, yeah, what yeah. was to come. Yeah, exactly. But the, they stopped the workers' movement. Mm. You were not allowed to uh, join a political party. You were not uh, allowed to sell uh, papers from the Social Democrats here and things like that. You were not allowed to, to start unions. So... Mm. So once again, sort of good and bad. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. You, you, you had some kind of security, mm -hmm. but it had a very high price. And do, do, do Swedes think that Gibson was in some way a forerunner of their own very no, generous no, no, welfare state? No, they don't know. No, I wouldn't no, have thought no, so. No, And uh, the, the, the discussion about uh, what was good and what was bad it has been going on since <laughs> every generation. I remember from my, when I was young, at Christmas parties and birthday parties, <laughs> my uncles always discussed this. <laughs> was it good? Was it bad? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And then you've actually been over to Dundee yourself yeah. many times. And what's, is the interest just to see how the other half lived or, or what? Yes, but also because uh, yeah, we have been building a museum for the textile industry and there's no knowledge left nearly in Sweden about the different kind of uh, textile, how it really worked with the machinery and things like that. And, uh, uh, when I started to work with the museum, I, 
I have been to Verdant Works and uh, the Verdant Works yeah, in Dundee. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, and they have the machinery as well. So I have been filming and I've been uh, learning how how the flex um, factory works then, really. And because we have pictures from um, from the factories inside, but the knowledge is gone. Because the, the Verdant Works has women showing you round who actually yeah. did work yeah. in the mills, yeah. so it's also the first-hand experience yeah. is yeah. still there. Yeah. And what do you make of Dundee then? And you can be honest. <laughs> Quite a dull city. Do you think so? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's m a lot more dull than Gothenburg. Yeah. Um, and it has no trams. No. Yeah. Uh, it's very steep. You have to walk upwards. All yes, the time. that's that's true. Yeah. There definitely needs to be a tram yeah. up, up up the hills there. Yeah. Uh, there must have been. And yet Dundee and Gothenburg back in the day would have been very similar sorts of cities. Yeah, because uh, Gothenburg is known to be a, a shipyard city, more like Glasgow. But uh, the truth is that uh, about 1900, uh, there were most of the workers worked in the textile industry in Gothenburg. And that's not told mm. at all because it was women. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a problem. So uh, then you are more like Dundee in that yeah, respect. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But they didn't. They don't agree. It's it was it's the shipyards and the sailing, <laughs> not women <laughs> working. Sort of the manly things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well. Isn't it funny how things are the same the world over? When you were newly met, wed. You had to have a very, very small apartment with uh, no kitchen, but just a stove and a room. Mm. And, and when your family get bigger, you could have one room and a kitchen. And when the kids were moved away, you had to move back to a smaller mm. one. Mm. So they moved you all the time. And also when there were new workers coming here, uh, they could uh, put the workers in the families. They, oh. did, they didn't have anything. They sort of billet them in, yeah, just strangers, yeah, you yeah, have yeah, this one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and when they built uh, the electrical power station, there were a lot of young men coming here. This Was this the steam engine no, aspect of it or no. something different? This was the hydro? A hydro, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was about uh, 1900. And there was a lot of young people coming here young man and uh, uh, they didn't have anywhere to live because there were no rooms for them so they put them in the family so they could have two or three young men in one room in the kitchen <laughs> drunk young men on Saturday nights <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so, so it, it wasn't popular it was a, it's a lot of tales still going around about those men that they had to put in mm. and yeah. to have with them. So it was a company town? It was a really company town. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, it was also a problem because young men, as they just started the jute factory, young women, and mm. what happens? Mm. Children. Yeah. So they had to build the uh, um, kindergarten because there were so many uh, unmarried women with kids. So they had to take care of the kids so the women could work or else they had to pay for the women. So it was better that the women worked and the factory look after the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Instead of paying yes. them for being home. 
So. Well, wow. Well, what what an insight into a sort of a, a little version of Scotland, except, you know, none of that obviously was provided in Dundee because everyone was just living in the city, so yeah. none of this had to had to happen. But but fascinating and interesting as well that you actually are needing to go back to Scotland to still get the expertise yeah. to put your museum together. Yeah. Yeah. So the links between our countries have not stopped in no. that respect. It's the same for the cotton mill here, because. Uh, uh, the there are still the museum and some machinery in uh, New Lurnock and in uh, Stanley as well. Stanley Mills near yeah. Perth. Yeah, so you can you can mm. look there and get knowledge. But there's some knowledge the Swedes haven't had to import from anywhere, and certainly wouldn't gain from landless, cooped-up Scots. One of the biggest attractions of living in Gothenburg today is the ability to leave it every weekend for family summer houses, some wee, some grand, most wooden, on island archipelagos, a 10-minute ferry ride from the coast. I'm on uh, the wee ferry going back from the island of Styrsoy, which is off the coast near Gothenburg. Actually, I should say one of two ferries on a tiny little island that is really no larger than the Island of Egg and has, I don't know, maybe this is a bank holiday Monday, May the 1st, and uh, there's still about, as far as I can see, about six or seven ferries from both ends of this tiny little island, which is covered in houses, a lot of them summer homes, uh, but being used at the moment, um, some of them permanent. There's no cars on these islands, so there's lots of little electric powered sort of wee buggies, people walking, people with uh, with mopeds, people with bicycles, people with all sorts of kind of semi-homemade contraptions. Um, it's an absolutely lovely place to be. It's so friendly, unlike many other parts of Sweden, perhaps like Stockholm, uh, folk actually nod and speak to you as you're passing in the wee streets, which feels very much like home. Except this is not like home because in the uh, in the spots in the harbour um, ferry points, rather, uh, you see lots of adverts for builders, for carpenters, for all sorts of stuff that you would need to build a home. You see no adverts whatsoever for Airbnbs, B&Bs, hotels, or anywhere stay. Unfortunately. Because these islands are for the people, they're for the Swedes. They're not for people to come in and rent by the day or the week. Um, and quite evidently, walking around the place, I saw one for sale sign. There may be, a, I don't know, there's about 500 more houses here, maybe a thousand. So, you know, again, <laughs> this fills me with this exasperation and longing for Scotland. I mean, also as we're going along, we're passing dozens of tiny piers with uh, not many boats moored in at the, at the moment, but at the ports, once again, loads of tiny little boats. They're not for posh people. Everybody seems to have one, in addition to this ferry service. And for the, the, the little cluster of uh, islands that are in the northern archipelago, uh, the ferry transport is free. So what are we missing? She knows so much. But look at these little granite islands there's hardly any soil on them, just like the ones in Norway uh, off Oslo. Uh, folk have obviously had to bring quite a lot of topsoil in to get any kind of vegetation on them. But even when their houses are built on stilts, in wood, on top of little stone, absolutely hard stone uh, mounds and, and little boulder collections, uh, they're absolutely beautiful. Um, 
there's nothing stopping people here because this island belongs to them and the land must be cheap enough and available enough, let's say, for them to be able to get planning permission and put up these beautiful little houses that I hope you're saying. Anyway, must stop complaining <laughs> or, or else stop coming here because you just keep seeing what could be and Scotland, come on. <laughs>